All right, let's give our attention to God's word here in these uh, various Proverbs. First, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. And ten, four through five. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Ten twenty six. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. 12.11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. 12.27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 15.19, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. 19.23-24, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. 24. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And finally, 27.18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. All men are like grass, and all man's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers, and the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come here tonight, um, no doubt for a number of reasons, for various reasons. Uh, We come here in all sorts of circumstances or situations. Uh, Father, some of us may not, uh, some of us might have come here and and want to hear from you. Uh, Some of us might have come here feeling very guilty and, and are here maybe just out of a sense to try to appease you. Some of us might be here because a friend brought us and, and we're not sure why we're here. 
But Father, for whatever reason, we know that you, uh, you say that for whatever reason, we need to hear you more than we need anything else. So Father, we pray that you would, uh, you would cause that to happen. That by your Holy Spirit, you would be here in Elliston Chapel. And you would, you would work with power in our hearts. Open our ears that we might hear, Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I bet if we took a poll uh, and got everybody to write down, what would the first three questions be that you would ask somebody the first time that you're meeting them? Uh, I, would, I would bet that most everybody's answers would be the same, or at least there would be a, a lot of overlap. Uh, so... Right, we all want to know pretty much the same things about one another upon first meeting somebody. So what would they be? I mean, I'm sure that we would want to ask their name. Right? What's your name? Secondly, or at least most very likely, we want to ask, where are you from? And then thirdly, uh, or at least pretty high up on the list, um, if you're a student, you're probably going to ask, what's your major? Uh, if you're out of school... Uh, very commonly, you'd ask somebody, so what, what do you do? What line of work are you in? Um, and we obviously place a high priority on, on the work that we do. Right? It's one of the first things that we want to know about people. It helps us, for right or wrong, categorize people. Uh, it, it's really at the core of our identity in a lot of ways. We even talk about it like that. Right? We say, I am a doctor, or I am a teacher. Uh, we, we very much connect uh, who we are and what we do. It's a big part of our identity. It's really important to us. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly why you're here at college. Your schoolwork is what you do. It's your work. You're, you're working so that you can work one day, I guess. And so since it's such an important part of our lives and really ingrained in in who we are, certainly it would benefit us to think about work rightly. And so this semester, you know, if you've been with us, that we're studying through the book of Proverbs. uh, And our theme every week is a life of wisdom, because Proverbs is a book of and about wisdom. And every week we said that wisdom is really um, skill Skill in living, living life well, cutting with the grain of life. Uh, And so what we see, we see in Proverbs that it actually has a good bit to say about work. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at wisdom in work. And so we've got three points, three main ideas. Uh, The first, we're going to look at working hard. Secondly, we're going to look at Hardly working, also known as laziness. And third, we're going to look at resting easy. So working hard, hardly working, and resting easy. All right, so first, let's look at working hard. And I think the first thing that we need to say as we dive in here and and look at the concept of of work, we have to see that, that work is a good thing. The Bible talks about work as an inherently good thing. And now look, you might have 
Uh, in this room, there may be all sorts of different uh, conceptions of, of how you think about work. Uh, some of you very much might think that it's uh, essentially something bad, right? Uh, that it's, yeah, that it's something uh, just to be uh, endured. Uh, some of you might think of it as sort of a necessary evil, right? Means to an end. Uh, I want to eat, I want to have money to buy things, and so I you know, have to get a job. Um, you know, you've probably seen bumper stickers that uh, say something like, uh, a bad day of fill in the blank, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work, or a bad day of golf is better than a good day at work. And I think that, you know, obviously echoes that sentiment that, that maybe a lot of us feel, that work is work's not a good thing. But we, we've got to think about work rightly, which is to say biblically. And the Bible pictures, uh, depicts work as a very good thing. And in fact, that you and I are actually designed by God to work, to do things. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that when God creates man and woman, He gives them things to do. He gives them jobs. They're called to subdue the earth and to fill it, uh, to name the animals, to tend the garden. It's it's very much a part of of what they are supposed to do, what we as humans are called to do. And it's actually only after the fall, right, after sin enters the world, that work becomes difficult and painful. If you recall, God curses the ground and says that essentially now from it, you know, you used to to work the ground and it it responded to you and and it brought forth its fruit. And now, by the sweat of your brow, it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. And so what we see in Proverbs definitely tracks with the fact that we're built for work. Proverbs assumes the same thing. Uh, It holds it up as a positive thing. Look at uh, the first passage there in chapter 6. The author of the proverb points us to the ant. And part of the idea of that proverb is that the ant is just inherently designed to work. And so are we. Look at 13.4. It says, The soul of the sluggard craves. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. That proverb seems to be reflecting the fact that there's there's actually something spiritual about work. It has some sort of spiritual aspect. So work, good work... It taps into something very deep inside of us. And I think, that, I think that resonates with you. I'm sure it has at least at some point. You probably, you've heard me say this before, but I bet you know what it's like to when you put your hand to doing something, writing a paper or doing a project, wh- whatever it might be, fixing something, and every once in a while, it just goes well. And the outline comes to you easily, and the words flow, or it, you, know, you just... You understand how to fix it and it just goes well. And it feels good. It's like it resonates. Certainly you've had that experience. And it's because work is good and we are built for it. And the Proverbs uh, even reflect the fact that all work, at least work that's not sinful, that all work is good. Look at twenty-seven, eighteen. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master <clears throat> will be honored. Right, the picture is of, um, of a slave and master or, or, or someone, an inferior, someone doing a job that's, um, 
a very, in a sense, lowly job. The, the way the world would look at and think, you know, that's a lowly job. But even what the world would consider lowly, there's honor in it if it's done well. So even the, any work, every kind of work has honor and dignity to it. All right, so quickly, uh, as we finish up this thought about hard work, I want to look at, at the results of hard work. Because we see that a lot throughout the Proverbs. So when we, when we work hard, what does that yield? And remember, keep in mind that Proverbs doesn't give us promises. It gives us generalities. The way the world tends to work. But they're not promises. But what do we see? How does the world tend to work when we work hard? Uh, first, just sort of generally speaking, we see that we'll have... And look, this is hard to phrase, but generally a better life. Things will go well. Look at 1519. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a level highway. A life of hard work will, generally speaking, work out well for us. It overall will, in some sense, make things easier. Remember, because you're cutting, you're cutting with the grain of life. A second uh, result, um, you'll have what you need. This is sort of to flesh out that generally better life. Secondly, you'll have what, you'll have what you need. Look at 12.11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Right? When we work hard, generally speaking, hard work is going to return a profit. And you're going to be able to get the things that you need. You're going to be able to buy food and such. And even more than that, uh, thirdly, generally speaking, it, it will yield riches and wealth. Look at 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 12.27, you see something very similar. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. You see the picture, the, the slothful man basically says he's not even going to get a hot meal. He's too lazy to even, you know, this is anachronistic, but put it in the microwave. He's too lazy to warm up his food. But to the hard worker, to the one that's diligent, not only do you get what you need, but very often you get more than that. Riches and wealth. Uh, Lastly, one of the things that we see that we get is responsibility. 1224, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Generally speaking, hard work is going to lead to more responsibility, more opportunities. All right, so those are the, the, at least a, a cursory glance of the results of hard work. So let's try to put some of this together real quick, just in some application. What does it mean for us? So like we said, right now, by and large, your work is your school, your schoolwork. I mean, and of course, if you have a job of some sort that, you know, where you make money, of course, that applies there too. But by and large, your schoolwork is your work. And so I think one thing it, it it means for you is that I think it would encourage you if you're going to be wise about your studies it would encourage you to think about your studies um, that they're not a necessary evil but that you're actually when you're doing your work when you're working that when you're writing that paper studying whatever it is that you're actually doing something that has honor and dignity to it it's not something to be endured and just finished um, 
yeah, even, I get it, it's hard, right? Especially with the busy work assignments and those sorts of things. But it's wise to look at that um, and see those, how the Bible sees them. That it's something that's to be done well. To actually put, my, put your mind to and, and to work hard at. And I think as we, if you begin to think about it like that, it might actually help to reinvigorate uh, some of your energy, right, for your studies and your work. And obviously it calls us to work hard at our studies. And we're going to flesh some of that out as we move on to our, uh, our second point. As we look at hardly working or laziness. So point two, hardly working. Right, you, you've probably gotten the picture that uh, over, as we've read several of these Proverbs, that the opposite of hard work is laziness. Or the, the picture of the sluggard or, or slothfulness. And it's actually a, a really big theme throughout Proverbs. It, it comes up a lot. Uh, the, the sluggard or the lazy is the one that doesn't work hard or maybe doesn't even work at all. All right, and so as we, we're going to look through some of these Proverbs uh, about the sluggard, about the lazy. And we're going to try to see if we can diagnose ourselves a little bit. Right? I think these Proverbs are going to help us to look at ourselves and, and evaluate, are we, are we the sluggard? Or, maybe better said, in what ways are we the sluggard or the lazy? Um, and we're mainly coming, pulling from 26, 13 to 16. All right, so what do we see about the sluggard? I think we've got uh, five or six things real quick. One, we see the sluggard makes excuses. Makes excuses. That's kind of hard to say. Look at verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Now look, I did a little research, and there were lions in the ancient Near East in this day. But they weren't known to roam the streets. So like, sure, you could find a lion. But it wasn't like that they were, uh, it, it would be out of the ordinary at least to see one on the way to work, right? So it's really nothing more than a, than a silly excuse. The sluggard makes silly excuses about work. So do you find yourself making up excuses about work? Um, do you find yourself thinking, you know, my teacher has it out for me, so I, you know, I'm not even really going to try. Or, well, I've really got to focus on fill in the blank now. I don't have time to really invest in that class, so, you know, because I'm really worried about this. Or whatever the excuse might be. Uh, secondly, we could look at it a little different way and see that the sluggard, um, the sluggard has fears. Uh, the sluggard is afraid. Again, verse 13, because it, it's possible that the person in that passage... Um, is actually afraid of the lion that could theoretically be in the street. So maybe it's not exactly a silly excuse, but it's more of an irrational fear. And I think our fears can often paralyze us. And, and often our fears are really just another form of laziness. Right? So maybe we need to think about, well, am I afraid? Is that leading to my laziness? Um, right, this isn't, to, this isn't like the, there's a tornado warning and so I'm not going to go to class, right? Like if there's a tornado warning, you know, don't go to class. 
But maybe on the extreme end, if you think, um, I could, I don't know, I just might get in a car wreck. Sure, you might. But right, probably an illegitimate fear. Um, what about maybe on the maybe less extreme, uh, where you where you avoid going to that job interview um, because you're afraid you're afraid they they probably aren't going to like me anyway. I'm probably not going to get that job. Um, we're afraid of failure, and so we think I, I'm not really going to try. Uh, it's not going to work out for me anyway, so I, I'm just not going to work as hard on that paper. And it just might be because we're afraid. We're afraid of failure. A third thing that we see the slugger does uh, is that he loves he or she loves comfort. Loves to sleep or not get out of bed. Look at uh, 26.14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. You get the picture, right? It's it's the picture of somebody waking up and rolling over and going back to sleep, waking up and rolling over and rolling over and doing it over and over again, going back to sleep. And so it's not talking about getting a good night's sleep or hitting the snooze once or something like that, but it's the picture of somebody that's missing out on normal work time because they would rather sleep. Yeah, yeah. Do we sleep through our classes? It doesn't necessarily have to be sleep, right? Just what about your, whatever it is that you enjoy for your own comfort. Maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's video games, or you know, fill in the blank for yourself. Fourthly, we see that the sluggard, the lazy person, doesn't finish their work. Look at 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. This is one of my favorite pictures. It was just so vivid. Um, the picture is of someone almost so lazy that they're too lazy to eat. Right? Like they put their hand on their food and then like, ah, that's not, that's not worth it. Just can't bring themselves to eat. And so I think the idea, what we see, is that it's the person that just doesn't finish what they start. They don't follow through. Uh, or maybe we could say it like this, they procrastinate. Right, I'll make a good start and, uh, tomorrow, I guess, maybe, or Friday, or never. Do you find yourself putting off the work? Uh, fifthly, the, uh, the lazy person is the know-it-all. Look at 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's been amazing as I've, as I've studied through Proverbs. Uh, this, the whole idea of being wise in your own eyes is all throughout Proverbs. And it says the lazy person always thinks they're right. That's pretty interesting if you think about it. Um, the lazy person can't be told anything, even when a group of people make logical arguments. Seven people come and say, like, can lay out a clear argument. And no, 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 they got it all figured out. It's laziness, actually. Uh, it, I don't know if this is a good application, but... For some reason, it 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 made me think of um, it made me think of group projects. Everybody hates a group project, right? I can remember being in college saying the exact same thing. Everybody hates group projects, um, and we hate group projects because we always say like, "I end up doing all the work," or me and a couple people we do all the work, and there's you know some people in the group that just they skate through. But here's the deal: I got to thinking about. 
Everybody says that. Right? Every time I've ever talked to a student, and again, I'm lumping myself in, I've said the same thing. In other words, I've never sat down and talked to a student and, and they've said, you know, I've got this group project. By the way, group projects are awesome because I don't do anything. Because there are three or four people in my group that are smart and driven and all that. And like, they're gonna, like if I say I'm just not going to do it, they'll cover it. Nobody says that. And so, is it just possible that we're actually the lazy ones and we're just the know-it-alls? I think it's worth thinking about, maybe. Right? You can't, this is how we should do it. I know how it ought to go. Uh, yeah, I've got it all figured out. And what, the way you're going about it, you're just skating by. You, is it possible? It's worth thinking about. Maybe we're the know-it-alls. Uh, sixth, finally, about this. Um, laziness tends to sneak up on us slowly. Look at uh, six, chapter 6, 10 through 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Right? You notice that it's not something that happens quickly. So it's just a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then it comes on you quickly. But it's, it's something that, it's a slow progression, and, and then you realize it's there. Then you realize you're in too deep. Um, so that's the profile of the, of the sluggard, of the lazy person. We don't have time to run through the results of laziness. Uh, I'll just list them for you. Um, the results of laziness are things like hunger, poverty, loss of freedom, difficulty in life. Uh, embarrassment, you're an embarrassment to your family and friends. Uh, you will be delusional. Those sorts of things. It's not good, right? So you get the picture of, of, the, of the lazy person, the sluggard. Um, so thirdly and finally, we need to look at resting easy. We need to talk about rest. And here's where, here's where we need, I, I should have should have saved more time for this part and, and maybe we'll just take more time. But Because um, here's where we got to really be honest with ourselves. I've been around Baylor long enough. This is my fourth year. I've been around Baylor long enough to know that for most of us, laziness is not the big struggle. Um, no doubt it is for, for some of you and, and no doubt it is for all of us in some sense. And Proverbs talks about it a lot, and so we need to honor that and and explore that. But for the majority of you here at Baylor, um, you don't need a lot of motivation to work hard. That that comes very natural to you. But it's the opposite. You tend to overwork a lot. Rest is very hard for you. And so we have to be wise in applying wisdom. Wisdom. And I think it can be very tempting for us. In fact, some of you might have might be listening along tonight, and and this makes you think one of two things. One, it might make you think um, kind of uh, these proverbs are kind of kicking you in the rear end and, and motivating. Like I've got to like I don't even know why I came tonight. I need to be working, and it's going to make you double down in your efforts and, and buckle down even harder. Or on the other hand, it might confirm. Um, it might. Uh, yeah, essentially confirm everything 
uh, it might validate your workaholism, basically. You might hear these proverbs and think, yes, not lazy. Knocking it out. And there can be a sense in which that's right, but, but most of you are really tired. Most of you are just utterly wiped out. And I want you to take a minute tonight and think about why you're tired. I want you to at least entertain the question, am I overworking? Listen to 1923. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And if you notice, it's right, in, uh, it's right before the proverb about the sluggard is too lazy to even eat. You have hard work on the one hand and not being lazy, and you have rest on the other, and they're, they're right there next to each other. Uh, I don't think we read this one, but Proverbs 3.24, talking about having wisdom, and it says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. It's the same idea. The wise person works hard, but then there's also this ab- the ability to rest and to rest well. And now, look, that's not to say that if you're wise, you'll never be tired again. Because, it's, look, it's a broken world. And that's the way it goes. Um, some nights sleep are not as restful as others. Sometimes the work does go longer. But here's the question for you. Can you rest from your work at all? Do, do you sleep, and literally sleep, well? Do you sleep enough? And when you try to sleep, can you go to sleep or is your mind churning about the work? Can you put the work down at all? Look, and some of us, look, we might need to have a conversation about this. You can't say everything in a sermon. So you, I, I got to be very careful with this. But what does the thought of taking a 24-hour period, right, one day, 24 consecutive hours, every week, and not doing any schoolwork... What does that thought do to you? Does that make you panic? Right? I mean, it, it is one of the Ten Commandments. All right, so how do we rest well? How can we approach work so that we work hard and rest well? And the answer, the answer is the fear of the Lord. It's where we keep coming back to, and we will come back to every week uh, in Proverbs. Our problem is that we, we tend not to rest well because we actually fear or love, and those are very closely related, even if it sounds like they're not. We tend to fear or love something other than the Lord. Our hearts start to slowly begin to fear or love something else. Maybe it's our, our grades, our, our performance, um, and our identity begins to be shaped around those things. And that becomes what we love or what we fear. Maybe we fear failure. And that becomes what drives us. And what we need is the fear of the Lord. And remember, if you've been with us, you know that we've said that basically what, the, what fearing the Lord means, is, or at least where we get the fear of the Lord, is from the gospel, the good news. If it sounds like a scary thing, it's not. It's actually a wonderful thing. The only thing that's going to give us a right sense 
of fearing and loving the Lord. And again, fear, if you haven't been with us, fear in the sense of, a, of an awesome reverence. The only thing that's going to give us that fear of the Lord is to understand the good news. And the good news is that God loves us so much and that He's so gracious to us that He came in the person and work of Jesus. That's the ultimate expression of God's love for us. All right, now let's look at the New Testament. Look at John, or listen to John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Jesus is talking about what drives me, what, what I feed on is to accomplish the work of my Father. Uh, then in chapter 5, John chapter 5, Jesus gets into this big controversy with the Jewish leadership. And it's all about, it's all about the Sabbath. It's all about rest versus work. And in 5.17, Jesus says this. But Jesus, or says, but Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Right? Jesus came to earth to do work. To accomplish what the Father had for him to do, which was to accomplish our salvation. To redeem us. And so he comes and he takes, he takes the place of his people. He takes our place in death. So that we can be saved. He works in our place. Did you notice that the, um, the recurring theme, uh, or at least the idea of thorns came up a few times throughout tonight. Um, let's see, where did it go? 1519, uh, the path of laziness, right? Um, well, I guess first, right, we talked about in Genesis. Part of the result of the fall, part of the curse of the fall, is that when we work, it's going to yield what? Thorns. Not, not good stuff that we can eat, but thorns, pain. And then uh, Proverbs picks up on that. 1519, laziness gets you a pathway of thorns. We didn't read 2431. Uh, it describes the outcome of the sluggard's life. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. Right? You, the result of living like that, it's more thorns, more pain. Well, what was part of the result of Jesus' work? Matthew, Mark, and John all record that when Jesus, when Jesus is about to be crucified, that the soldiers take thorns and they twist it together and they make this makeshift crown and they, and they crush it down on his head. A crown of thorns because he claimed, rightly, to be king. Right, Jesus... The good news is that Jesus comes and he, he works for us. And his work is to bear the curse. The curse that you and I deserve. We deserve for the, for the thorns to pierce us. For our laziness and our overworking. Right? The picture of creation pushing back. Of God's judgment for, for, for sin. Jesus takes it. And, and what does he say on the cross? It's finished. 
the work, it's done. There's none left for you. The work of your salvation. And so what it means, right, that, that's good news. And what that does is it frees us up. Because Jesus has accomplished our salvation. Because, because our, he offers for us to have our identity wrapped up in that. In his love for us. So what that does is it frees us up to work hard and to rest well. It means that you can look at your schoolwork or your job in the future or now. It means you can look at that and say, I'm going to give myself to this and I'm going to work hard at it. And I'm not going to fear failure because if I fail, it's okay. Because I I am not my grades. I am the fact that the God of the universe looks at me and says, I am happy with you. So I can try and I can fail. Because it doesn't mean I'm a failure. And so we can work hard. But we can also rest. Because we can know at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's not my work. We can know that God loves me so much that He's going to take care of me. It's not my work that gets me to heaven. And it's not my work that puts food on the table. And so you can actually rest. You can work hard when it's time to work. And you can go home when it's time to go home. And we can do that because God loves us so much that He would provide His Son. And if He he gives us His Son, He's going to provide everything else that we need. And so we can work hard and we can rest easy because of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for those truths, for that truth. It is in so many ways for us something that's easy, maybe easy to say. And in some ways it's easy to believe, in some ways it's so hard to believe. Father, would you help us to really drink in the truth that we are not our performance? That who we are is not tied to what we do. Uh, Would you help us to see that by your grace and your mercy, you free us up? And would you help help that to cause us to work hard and to rest well? And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.